0: Greetings and salutations, you're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife... Harmony Colangelo,
1: a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen
0: boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood?
1: Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective?
0: Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen?
1: Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to... This Ends at
0: Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I... Welcome to This Ends at Prom. You are joining uh, this episode, uh, obviously, some weeks later, but y'all, we just found out, like, less than 30 minutes ago, that Donald Trump uh, is no longer going to be the President of the United States, and I am feeling... (sighs) That's what I'm feeling.
1: I don't think I have to drink extensively for the first time this week
0: (laughs) it's uh oh it is just it just feels so nice and obviously uh we are not out of the woods yet we still have a lot of things in this country that need to be worked on but we don't have a dictator fascist in office
1: (sighs) as long as he doesn't get his way
0: yeah this will this be real. more complicated,
1: but we just can't not address that because it dropped right before we sat down to right. record.
0: <laughs> like, there's no way that I can, like, hide that mood from my voice. So, who knows? Maybe in a couple weeks from now when this episode actually goes live it'll be like, um, actually, we are now living um, in hell because he's refusing to leave and set off nukes and maybe we're dead. Who knows? Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be real fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what anyway, happens. Anyway,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm Harmony Calangelo. Who are you?
0: <laughs> and I am am the other co-host. I am BJ Colangelo. That's the first time you've introduced yourself first. Look at you. It's
1: because I'm good at putting us back on topic sometimes.
0: That's true. I'm very bad at it, especially today where I'm feeling feeling all kinds of feels. Um, but yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us today, my friends. We are, we are going for a classic. This is one that has been highly requested. Um, it's one that has been asked about since we started the podcast. It is a movie that I'm, I'm sure is going to have a lot of a lot of interesting conversations that come out of it. We are talking about the John Hughes absolute classic, 1984's Sixteen Candles. candles. So, Sixteen Candles, according to uh, our friends at Fandango, our Fandango's, Dangos, uh, this is my favorite synopsis yet. A girl turning 16 likes another girl's guy and feels nobody cares about her birthday. Is that it? That's fucking it. <laughs> that is the Great. synopsis refandico. <laughs>
1: okay, um
0: <laughs> Give well,
1: let's work with there, bro. A lot more happens, but if you want to go ahead and summarize, summarize it in one sentence, that's about right.
0: <laughs> yes. So for those that don't know, uh, Sixteen Candles is the um, directorial debut of Mr. John Hughes. At this point in his career, he had been writing for National Lampoon. He wrote, you know, Mr. Mom and National Lampoon's Vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his next project was supposed to be The Breakfast Club. And what ended up happening is he was looking through headshots, and he came across Molly Ringwald. And I guess just inspiration struck, he was just absolutely mesmerized by this, this headshot and wanted to write a story about who he thought this girl was. So he wrote 16 Candles, uh, pitched it to the studios, and they liked it because, you know, Breakfast Club is a little bit. You know, hardier. It's it's got a little more weight to it. Uh, Sixteen Candles sort of feels like a like a like a Porky's, I guess.
1: Yeah, it kind of
0: falls in line with a lot of those. It's types it's definitely of a raunchy
1: like. College type film, yeah. but it also feels like a '60s beach film at the same time. Yeah, especially at that one house
0: party. There's a lot of like weird shit going on in Sixteen Candles, but he uh, he pitched that. The studios loved it, and that ended up being made first. So this is that's sort of the the world in which we we find ourselves in getting Sixteen Candles. Yeah,
1: this is like you know the first real John Hughes film that he would build his formula off of for the following decade. Oh,
0: totally. I mean, like he. He's been writing forever, and he would go on to write. You know, pretty much every movie he wrote is considered like a classic. In maybe, some maybe not way. as much
1: once you get to the back end of the '90s mm, and onward. True. Okay, but fair there fact. was a good ten, fifteen years where yeah, he, he was—he
0: was kind of unstoppable. Yeah,
1: and he like invented the teen movie genre, kind of as we know it.
0: Yeah, he very—I think he he perfected sort of that formula that a lot of the films that we love and watch have sort of been branching off of ever since. And, mm-hmm. and Sixteen Candles is definitely one of those films. Um, but Sixteen Candles, whoo the aging on this one, friends, is staggering. So before we dive into that, Harmony, um, what was your exposure, knowledge, anything with Sixteen Candles um, before watching it for the show?
1: I had seen this movie a couple times when I was growing up because I actually was in a uh, John Hughes-style household. Because my mom loved John Hughes movies. Like, one of her favorite movies of all time, along with, like, Miss Congeniality, is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Which, like, for a girl who was, like, a teen in the 80s, that's kind of, like, the weird one, I guess, because yeah, because it's not a teen girl movie. Mm-hmm. But my mom, I think my mom wanted to be Ferris Bueller based on the fact that she also, one of her favorite movies is Coyote Ugly. So she kind of wanted <laughs> to just be the cool party person who could get away with anything. And just have dance numbers, so I whatever. But we watched a lot of, like, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, mm-hmm. and not as much Sixteen Candles. This one, uh, as well as a lot of other copies of John Hughes' movies, were recorded off the TV. Okay. So when we sit down to watch this one, you um, are like, oh, yeah, no, this is the worst aged one by far. And I'm like, well, I remember one character in particular... Uh, who we will get to because, boy, howdy, is he a fucking problem. But uh, <laughs> I remember him, and I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's a problem. That's bad, but I don't really remember what else. And uh, I'm pretty sure that I missed a lot of the really awful stuff because we had a TV edit of it. But watching it for uh, the podcast was quite sobering. It was like a pillowcase of bricks swung upside the head because it is really hard-hitting and not subtle.
0: Yeah, no, 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 no. This movie is, uh, it's got some issues. And I think what's very frustrating, and I know we'll dive into it, is that this movie does so much good, and then it does stuff that is just so wildly bad that you're like, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, so let's dive in. Let's go for our, uh, our, our main characters. So let's go to our, our, our lead, our Molly Ringwald. Let's talk about Samantha Baker. What do you think about Sam?
1: I think she's kind of a nobody. I look exactly the same as I have since summer.
0: Utterly forgettable. No, I didn't expect to wake up transformed. I just thought that turning 16 would be so major that I'd wake up with an improved mental state that would show on my face. All it shows, I don't have any sort of a tan left. I mean, that's kind of the point. Yeah, that's (laughs) the point.
1: That's her setting in, like, the high school. That's her kind of everything. But I don't... Fully know anything about her, really?
0: Mm-hmm. She has
1: a she has a crush on Jake Ryan, which is the most American male name I can think of outside <laughs> yeah. of James Dean. It is uh, so she has a crush on him, and her birthday got forgotten by everyone in her family because her sister's wedding is coming up, like a couple days later.
0: He's gonna marry that. Bo- she's gonna marry that bow hunk. Oh,
1: he's. Is- that that family is is a lot.
0: Yeah. How how do you feel about her
1: the the married family in that one? Uh, do you think they did Italians dirty?
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Rudy's <laughs> family is like every Italian stereotype of like he's clearly in the mob and like his mom wears really bright red lipstick and like Mimi from Drew Carey show like blue eyeshadow. It's like. Pfft. Y'all. Like, and mind you, he's like,
1: Hey, well, a, well, it doesn't matter where you wet your appetite as long as you come home for dinner. Ah, like that's yeah. the kind of air that like her <laughs> fiance is giving out.
0: But then at the same time though, like, so I grew up uh, like in the, so the area that a lot of John Hughes movies is set are set, um, are like the rich Chicago suburbs, which is why like when you see like a Ferris Bueller, like his, you know, day off is going into the city. This
1: is his Stephen King's main. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Very much so. Um, so 16 candles, a lot of it, takes place in like Highland Park and Glencoe and like these are areas around Chicago where there's money so um what's funny is if you take like the metro rail train into the city once you get like closer to the city you're like in like the middle of the track that's where you get sort of like John Hughes world like Wilmette Winnetka like all of those places I'm at the other end of that train station that's where (laughs) I grew up where everyone is poor like I grew up over there so it's always really weird because I like look at these characters in John Hughes movies and they feel both so familiar and yet completely alien Uh because it's like no 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 I saw those people like growing up like they you know they would be the the opposing schools like at the basketball game kind of thing Uh but at the same time it's like I don't act like I don't know you people like I don't know you because they live in like another fucking planet because they're just in a completely different like socioeconomic bracket compared to where I grew up so it's like our experiences (laughs) are not the same despite growing up in like the same area and having like a lot of the same like messaging same commercials same schools uh like textbooks like same history all of that shit but like i don't got money so like i don't i don't know your life
1: <laughs> well this is also a thing i ask you um kind of anytime we watch like anything based out of chicago like every single time i put on rookie of the year and just be like hey this reminds you of home and you go no <laughs> but when i ask you during 16 candles and they're at that house party and i'm and i'm seeing like dozens of crushed up old style cans on the ground i'm like hey bj does the uh do <laughs> all these old-style cans remind you of home? And you're like, yes, that actually that is making does. me homesick.
0: <laughs> that makes me homesick. That makes me think about, like, my dad and his friends watching Cubs games and just getting fucking blitzed uh, in I the lo- backyard and just, like, leaving cans everywhere. Like, it makes me think of that.
1: Uh, so a story about your parents that I love about the first time I met them. <laughs> and then we'll we'll jump right back onto yes, them all. Yes, promise,
0: promise. <laughs> but
1: I, I, this is my favorite thing about sharing stories because... God, your family is so much more fascinating than mine. My life insane. my life is boring in a very weird way, and yours is crazy. <laughs> so your parents come to visit us from Florida, where they had just retired to, mm-hmm. um, and they're coming to meet me for the first time. And there was two things that we needed to have established pretty much, like, At at the jump is, one, we were going to take a walk out into the rain to go to the liquor store so that we could come back to their hotel lobby, which was not like a lounge or like a...
0: No, it's like a lobby. It's
1: a lobby. There's like some couches and a big TV and that was where it is. And then we spent several hours drinking there with them.
0: Yeah, we did. And then
1: they took a picture on their phone and then framed it and hung it up with all of the nice professional (laughs) taking pictures of them. Their, of them and their friends until we went down to visit them to actually have a better picture taken <laughs> for their wall. So, um, yeah, we were getting drunk there specifically because your dad wanted to watch the playoffs mm-hmm. for, for basketball. And two was that when they were going to come visit us at the bar we work at, where I bartend and you bar backed, which mm-hmm. you, we don't have bar backs in COVID America. But right. you know, when we did, the thing that we were told was my dad needs to have Budweiser in a bottle, and he will drink all of them, Mm -hmm. and if he doesn't, well, I can take old style, because, you know, that's what they serve at the Cubs games.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Like, that was was my dad, is he was like, those are my options. My dad is, like, exclusively a a butt-in-a-bottle drinker, to the point where that man could put away, like, 40, like unscathed. It's water. But you give him now like one shot of like rum or anything that's not Budweiser and he's destroyed because like his tolerance is so whack now because of it. But...
1: Oh God. so... I love your dad's weird thing with alcohol because, like, the liquor screws him up so much. Where you were talking to him on the phone and he was already blitzed. Yeah, and he's just like, "So so that's uh, that book that Harmony's got. There's some tasty drinks in there." Go, Dad, you're drinking cocktails. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I sip them. I I just have a little taste to see if they're good, (laughs) and like they're good, but like I'm not gonna drink that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's pretty much what happened. Is like, like my mom was making drinks out of your cocktail book. Also, for those listeners who don't know, Harmony wrote a cocktail (laughs) book. We'll put the link on our social media or in the you know, description of the show, whatever. Um, but my mom was like making drinks with her sister and my dad like sipped them to just like see what they taste like. And it like fucked his life up because he doesn't drink liquor. Um, (sighs) but yeah, speaking of, you know, Chicago wins where liquor fucks their life up. 16 candles. Yes. Um, So
1: (laughs) I, I really like talking about your parents because the one, they're very fun people. Like they're just wild and amazing. And I love them very mm -hmm. much. I'm so happy that they're my in-laws, but Your parents are so much of a Chicago type people that they feel so at home in like the zany John Hughes adults.
0: Yeah. So the thing that I love about John Hughes movie adults is that they're always like very weird characters, even if they're... Like, like, in this movie, like, Grandpa, who's, like, wildly inappropriate at all moments. Which Grandpa? Both. Okay. <laughs> um, But specifically, um, the grandparents that are staying in Sam's bedroom, so the ones that get the phone calls in the middle of the night, and the ones that have Long Duck Dong as, like, their foreign exchange student. Mm-hmm. Which, like, doesn't make sense to me, because usually foreign exchange students, like... They stay with a... Like, a, like like a, a family. fellow classmate yeah. or something. Yeah. So it whatever. Maybe the eighties were different. I don't we, know. We will get wasn't
1: to we'll get to dong eventually. Yeah.
0: But like that grandfather is. Like so inappropriate, or like you know, there's the grandma who is smoking and is like super like glamorous and has really long fingernails. I love her. She's great. Who also is like, oh, she's got her boobies. Like so even and then if they ropes
1: Molly Ringwald. <laughs>
0: Fucking right. Ugh. So it's like these characters are so weird, but they are characters. Like even if they're given like m- like very small amounts of screen time and the movie's clearly not about them, they feel like characters, and I I love that because yeah, my parents frequently feel like John Hughes characters Mm -hmm. for sure. And
1: that's one reason why I think bringing them up is interesting. So Molly Ringwald's character is a nobody
0: Mm -hmm.
1: who has her birthday forgotten. She falls in love, whatever. I I have no inkling of what her personality is other than maybe like looking at the posters on her wall and being like, oh, you like the stray cats. Convenient. They did the theme to your movie. (laughs) So uh, Molly Ringwald always has like very cool input for The movie she's in, too, because she helps with the soundtracks, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah. So Molly, we'll actually come to this uh, article a few times, but Molly Ringwald wrote an article for The New Yorker um, about showing her daughter uh, The Breakfast Club because it was this very weird thing where all of her daughter's friends had seen the movie, Mm -hmm. but her own daughter hadn't so she it's 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 her talking about watching those movies with her daughter and also reflecting on these movies that have sort of shaped the landscape of an entire like subgenre of film yeah and like kind of several
1: generations of americans yeah
0: and seeing like how she feels about them now and she did talk about how you know a lot of people used to call her John Hughes's muse, and she says, you know, like, for a brief period of time, I believe that I was, Uh but I don't think that it was in, in, like, the, you know, kind of, like, the Andy Warhol way of muses, but more so, like, you know, John listened to her. Uh So she did have input on what she thinks her character would be comfortable with, what they would, you know, what those characters would say. So as much as a lot of people like to shit on the idea of like grown adults writing movies for teens, the reason I think John Hughes' movies were so successful is because he did ask for input from actual teenagers.
1: Yeah. And I really love that. Like it's a complicated subject that mm-hmm. I guess we'll probably get into a little bit later when we talk about themings and stuff. But I really love that because even with the many problems with this movie, Molly Ringwald's character feels the strongest, which mm-hmm. it's it's weird because the things that don't work about this movie are what the movie's trying to be mm-hmm. and what the movie wasn't trying to be is, is what Molly Ringwald shaped it into. Mm-hmm. And that feels the most sincere and the most genuine and what the character of Sam sort of represents is the biggest trait that would carry on to later John Hughes films.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree with you. I've always really liked Sam because I do think that Sam fills sort of that very popular position that a lot of teen movies have where you have, you know, I wouldn't say as mu- like, it's not as obvious as like the Bella Swan role. But you know, Sam is she's an every girl. And that it's it's very important that she's an every girl like we don't know if like she's a band geek Or if she does theater or like what she does extracurricular, like it's never established. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't know who this character is, but we know that like she's a teen girl trying to find herself dealing with her family, you know, dealing with crushes. And because we're given such like small amounts of information, it becomes really, really easy for the viewer to sort of put themselves in that position because yeah. there's nothing about her that makes you go oh i can't relate to her um and something even as simple as you know there's a scene where she's in the um the locker room after like gym class or whatever and that's when you get the the tits <laughs> in in the movie the
1: only tits in this movie actually yes
0: when they they're looking uh she and her friend randy are looking at um caroline in the shower after gym class and like they're like she has just, like this perfect body and you know all these things and that is a very natural aspect of like teen girlism Mm -hmm. is that like weird internalized misogyny that's also comparing your own body to people around you and feeling like uh I'm not good enough I mean her opening conversation on the phone is like I look exactly the same I swear to god Caroline Mumford had to fuck about nine grades truly makes me ill She's perfect, practically impossible to cut up. She's supposedly real sweet. Brother's death and everybody in the world worships her. And she's going with Jake. Oh, I'm gonna kill myself.
1: Yeah, one of her biggest character traits of her insecurity like i guess as, as the example of it is that she doesn't have boobs yet
0: yeah she brings it up a lot like i don't have the bus to fill this out or you know i i look like i'm 15 still or whatever yeah and um,
1: then other people talk about her the same way like this mm-hmm. is a very defining part of how people see her which like that's shitty but that's totally how high school boys talk in in that way where it's just like oh she doesn't really have much of a rack, bud.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, there's a point where, you know, once Jake starts to, you know, notice her, he's talking about her with a friend of his in, I guess it's like the gym, the, I don't, I don't know what the fuck to call that, like, like the weight room, I guess.
1: Yeah, those are, they're not the same, but the weight room's definitely Yeah, it's thing. more like
0: the weight room, and he's like, he's like asking the guy like, hey, what do you think of her? And he's like, I don't think of her at all, like, there's nothing Special about her, and then immediately then directs to Caroline, where it's like, man, but you got Caroline, and like she's built, and she's great, and blah blah blah. And as much as I, you're right. As much as I view that scene, and I'm like, oh, well, this is shitty. It's like, man, mm, but this is real. Like, yeah, something being shitty doesn't make it not accurate.
1: Correct, and that's that's a <laughs> that's a very big distinction that we try to make all the time. Is like, hey, just because this is seen in a film does not mean it's advocating for this thing that it's putting in film. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging something bad doesn't necessarily mean that it is like, no, but this bad thing is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually really curious of your take on this, as well as other people's who are listening. Um, when, so we have this scene where they're in the shower and they're studying Carol Ann's body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Something that I've done uh, for as long as I can sort of remember uh, at this point is I've always sort of studied women in the same way where Mm -hmm. it's not male gaze. It's not, um, it's not uh, lusting. Mm -hmm. It's not even gawking. It's just sort of studying. Cause obviously like it was, how is their body different from mine? Which is a very relatable thing that I have for the Sam character where it's Mm -hmm. like, you compare your body to, you know, much more womanly women, quote unquote, unquote. And, I sort of had to learn about womanhood on my own by observation of, like, how do women move? How do women present? How do they sound? Because that's all very, very different. Mm-hmm. And I still sort of do that. Not to, mm-hmm. like, uh, like any kind of, like, I will watch someone walk down the street and be a fucking goon about it. <laughs> like, I don't do that, but, like, I'm just a very aware of, like, the, the minutiae of, like, Womanhood and like the female form mm-hmm. of all of the women that I see or the women around me. Like, I, 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 I don't know how to describe this without it sounding weird, but like,
0: no, it's I don't, so, I don't,
1: that I do that, and I'm like, I don't know if other people do that, but that's totally like a thing that happens in my brain.
0: So it's not weird, and we're actually gonna tiptoe into like a really weird and like ooh, territory because of this. So I do the same thing, but my reasoning behind it is because, you know, I went to theater school, like I was an actor for many, uh-huh. many years. Um, and a big part of learning how to create a character is by studying people, uh-huh. by learning the isms, the the way that we carry ourselves and what that projects to the world. Mm-hmm. So the reason I say it's like a weird territory, because then that also implies that like, Oh, well if trans people do, then they're acting. And it's like, no, that's, that's not what it is. But you do, you can learn a lot about a person based on like how they carry themselves. Um, like I, as a, as a person, I have a really, really hard time um, hiding how I'm feeling. I have a lot of tells. Um, so even if I am presenting and projecting as like confident and positive as possible, there are little things that I do that if you know me well enough, you're like, all right, bitch. What's actually wrong with you? Like, yeah, you, I do
1: that with you all the time. Yeah, like we'll you just can be on the couch, and I'll be like, "What's wrong?" Right.
0: <laughs> um, because I had
1: a dreamless night. <laughs> so I'm not, I just didn't feel. I'm not feeling good. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll rub your thighs and make you feel better. <laughs> and
0: it always works, and I appreciate it. Um, but I think that you you really can learn a lot about a person based on those little minutiae that you're talking about, um, before, you know, COVID I was a teacher and I taught theater specifically social emotional education. And a big part of that is, you know, what do emotions look like in your body and also showing and, and talking about how it's not always, it's not always really visible what's going on. Like somebody might cross their, their chest. Does that mean that they're angry or does it mean that they're powerful? What, what is that? Are they cold? Yeah. Or are they cold? Um, or like the little subtleties where like a surprised face and a scared face can look really, really similar, but like the eyebrows might be different. Uh Um, so no, I don't think that there's anything wrong with studying. I think that people do that in general. And I think, knowing the intent behind the studying is the difference between like something being acceptable and something being gross.
1: Well, yeah, I just wonder how it is like outside looking in.
0: Right. Like like, we had
1: this moment one point, (laughs) it's a weird story. We were leaving a grocery store and we were walking back to the car and I was like looking at this one girl for probably a little too long. And then she was just kind of like saw me and she was like, Oh, hello," and then kind of got like flirty and we get in the car and go, were you like checking that girl out? Because like she definitely thought you were checking her out. And I was like, no, she had a, like a really thin choker on. And I was like, I wonder if I can pull off thin chokers. I got a big <laughs> neck. I think I should stick with the thick ones. Like, and that was just a thing where it's like, I wonder how this looks outside looking in because like, I don't know.
0: I think, that, yeah, I think that there's a way to do it. And uh, honestly, this idea of like studying people kind of transitions really nicely into talking about Jake Ryan because Jake Ryan's big thing of, like, why he's interested in Sam in the first place is because of wh- how Sam looks at him. Like, mm-hmm. specifically how she looks at him. And
1: what she wrote about him in that note.
0: Yes. That's, you know... Like,
1: it's straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, know.
0: she wants to fuck him. Like, <laughs> she writes it in the note. <laughs> yeah. But more so his... his his interest in her is like, uh, I think he has the line. She looks at me like she's in love with me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he notices her studying her. He sees it. And, you know, like that girl in the grocery store was like, Oh, Hey, check me out. Um, he notices like, she looks at me like she cares. Like not that like, "Mm, I'm primal, but like, Oh no, I'm really interested in this boy. Mm -hmm. And that does a lot for him. So I guess what are your, what are your feelings about Jake? Mine are complicated. What are yours?
1: Um, I mean, Jake's also kind of a nobody, but in a different direction Mm -hmm. where it's like he's a somebody in the high school. But again, I'm like, I don't really know who you are. And I like that as a dichotomy between Sam and Jake, because neither one knows anything about the other. Mm -hmm. We barely know anything about either of them. So all we know
0: is that he's perfect and beautiful.
1: Yeah. So we're kind of operating in the same way that they are, which is we're projecting our own interests and concepts of who we think they are on them. Mm-hmm. So it in this sort of way, weird way, it actually works like how we're studying them and they study each other and we're, everyone's just observing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but Jake sucks. Yeah. Like a lot. Like he did not have nearly as many of like the, whoa, uh, I'm super fucking like bugging out, out about like the farmer Ted did, Cause he was just popping off lines left, right, and center about like all of the things you shouldn't say or do. And I was like, Whoa, but Jake, he made his count. Like there is that extended long, supposed to be comedic scene about, I was like, Oh, Caroline's drunk. Just have your way with her. It's cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Like and
1: it goes on for a really long time and I don't remember that because uh, one as a kid I might not have processed it but two they probably cut a lot or all of that out of the TV broadcast.
0: Yeah, no, there's there's a high likelihood of that. So there was an article on Vox during the Brett Kavanaugh. Um, oh, it's totally
1: yes. that is a one to one.
0: Um, and it's all it was during the 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 trials or the assessment of Brett Kavanaugh, whatever you want to call it before he was elected for fucking life uh, to the Supreme court or appointed. He's not elected, but whatever semantics, but it's called the rape culture of the 1980s explained by 16 candles. And it's written by Constance Grady. It's on Vox. You can still read it, but they, they talk about Jake Ryan, um, specifically, in the 1980s and like what he represented. You know, they talk about Jake Ryan was the dream boy of the 1980s, but he's also an accessory to date rape. Um, Uh And one of the things that Constance says is what 16 Candles is selling is the dream of the unattainable guy falling in love with the every girl. And I think that is like really perfecting what John Hughes was going for. Sam is Every girl in America and Jake is that one guy in high school. I think like the, the whole idea of like the, the one guy is, is explained better in Never Been Kissed, also a Chicago movie. Um, but that idea of like there was always that one guy in every high school in America that like every girl was interested in for whatever reason. I don't think that's as common now. Like yeah, that there's idea. a lot of
1: different discrepancies on what is and isn't attractive. Yes. I feel like that divide may have happened more starkly in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And definitely by the time we hit high school, it was like, oh, well, are you like the little emaciated skinny emo boy or are you, you preppy? And right. There's a lot more like big cultures that have inhabited a high school rather than like this uniform MTV concept. Yeah. But – Jake is definitely, like, the kind of guy where it's like all, all the women want to be with him and all the men want to be him. It's like the the James Bond kind of quote from Austin Powers or whatever. hmm Where it's like, oh, Austin, you're so... It's like Jake is the ultimate, like, he, he's the ideal man.
0: Yes. He's, he's pretty. He's popular. He's charming. He's rich. Um, he's got the cool car, like, everything about Jake on Which paper. Which he is
1: crammed into that car. I know. Like, at one point he pulls up and his knees are so high up and I'm like, you do not fit in that car, bud. I know it's a tiny little sports car, that's the point, but, like, it just looks like a bad fit. Yeah,
0: but he's... And, I mean, and even when he's at the dance with Caroline and, like, they're slow dancing or whatever, she even says to him, like, you know, moments like this I fantasize about when we're older and we're, like, the rich, cool adults that throw parties or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, he is very much, like... The the status quo that everybody wants to attain mm-hmm. and
1: he's the American dream.
0: Yeah. he Jake is the American dream. And so for someone like Sam, of course she's going to be interested in this guy.
1: She's told by everyone you're supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every social messaging she's ever been given her whole life is telling her you're supposed to like Jake Ryan, even if Jake Ryan is not the, you know, the better partner for you.
1: Yeah. And this is, this is a weird little segue. That's totally on point for this movie is that, this movie was praised very highly when it first came out. Oh, God, yeah. And more recently, I feel like I've been hearing people, and not the specifics of it, but people be like, oh my God, like, oh no, not Sixteen Candles, there's so much wrong with it. Uh huh. I didn't know exactly what until we sat down and watched it. Uh, that said, I remember a Family Guy joke from probably like 2002- Mm-hmm. That like was Peter as Sam uh, sitting on the table with the ca- with the cake and stuff, and Jake's there's like well happy birthday Peter, and then where there is a freeze frame in the movie, Jake then leaps over the table and just starts assaulting and he's like oh god and family guy was making a reference to how yeah. rapey this man is like t- almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Like that's how like really unsubtle it was.
0: It it's, it's bad. And so 16 candles is coming out in the same time frame as, um, as I say in this Vox article, the 80s were a decade of film comedy hugely informed by the recent successes of 1978's Animal House, which features a rape fantasy scene filmed in what critic Emily Nossbaum describes as the perviest possible way. It was the decade that gave us Revenge of the Nerds, which, as Noah Brand put it in the Goodman Project, has so much rape culture you could make rape yogurt. Oh, such a good line. That is such um, a good line! It gives us police academy and its non-consensual blowjobs are a fun and lighthearted prank, and perhaps most disturbingly, it gave us the comedic rape subplot in Sixteen Candles, John Hughes' much beloved and iconic 1984 teen romance. I can get a piece of ass any I want. Shit, I got Carolyn in the bedroom right now, passed out cold. I could violate her ten different ways if I wanted to.
1: What are you waiting for?
0: I don't know she's beautiful and she's built and all that just not interested anymore does that really matter guy yeah it matters so yeah Jake's an accessory of rape culture um I mean he he f- jokes a lot about his you know girlfriend Caroline being like you know she's out of her mind, so like you can do whatever you want to her, like she won't even notice. Or there's that awful line to you know, Farmer Ted or the geek, who we'll talk about next, where it's like, you know, I got her up there, passed out, I could violate her 10 way- different ways if I want to. And it's like, he's not gonna do it, but the fact that he knows he could, like that's gross and creepy. I mean, and weird. he might have
1: before he got like tired of her, he might have.
0: Yeah, we don't know, and I don't want to live in the world where he has because that's. <sighs> I know that's the real world. Yeah. Because that's exactly what happened. So,
1: um, since we're talking about Farmer, an accessory of date rape.
0: Yeah. Farmer Ted Do you want to move to Farmer Ted? Yeah. Yeah. So, he's credited as the geek. He calls himself Farmer Ted. He's Anthony Michael Hall. He's the pervious freshman in high school. He's, you know, big loser who talks a big game because he feels like he's supposed to. Constantly just overcompensating for something. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of the quintessential, like, overly confident geek you know, character archetype that we'll see long into the... Yeah, this is going to go on for decades.
1: Yeah. So this, like, Revenge of the Nerds, American Pie, like, every kind of, like, horny dork stereotype, I feel like they all come from him specifically.
0: I think so, too. I think, you know, and what's frustrating is it's like i i knew that kid in high school like that kid still exists like who's just completely out of his element and is so just motivated by hormonal lust that he can't fucking control himself oh yeah
1: i was friends with that kid and he was <laughs> he was a uh, from a rich family cuz his dad was an air traffic controller they had like a pool in their house jesus so like you know it was like an infinity pool like they were a they were a very well to do family and he would just tell me things sometimes. He's like, well, my personal record for masturbating in one day is 14. Oh and I'm like, God. that's too much. What's wrong with you? And then he'd be like, well, I made a list of all the fetishes I'm into. And it was like 80-something. I mean. And I don't, I don't know how like how nitpicky <laughs> and like specific he was being. Well, it's like, well, I like, I like butt stuff and anal. It's like. <sighs> like, I don't know how nitpicky the yeah, list was because I here. didn't want to see it. But I'm just like, the fact that you thought about it and just went, yeah, I'm going to make a list. Like. I I, I knew this person.
0: I mean, to be fair, we can't really judge because on one of like our earliest days, we did go down like one of those kink lists to be like, where do we line up and where do we match? That's because I think it's really funny.
1: (laughs) Like one, there's a chance that you and I would be having sex at some point. Yeah, that's true. So, we were just, you know, we were doing doing home. Anyth- we were we were doing paperwork.
0: Yeah, if anything, it's it's figuring out like where do we consensually stand on things. And it's also just it's a fun topic.
1: Like do you yeah. ever just talk about like kink with your friends or or sex with your friends? Like whatever. It's it's interesting conversationally. I mean, we do
0: because we're gross disgusting perverts. Yes,
1: but <laughs> unlike Farmer Ted, he just we have like, you know, The not rapey, disgusting part about us that we can do this consensually. Right. If if, (laughs) if I was having a conversation with someone being like, yeah, but like, you know, spanking, not spanking, like something more intense than spanking, because that's very vanilla at this point, but using that as an example, be like, whatever. And they go, um, that's actually, I'm like, not really comfortable talking about that. Like, okay, cool. We're done.
0: Yeah. Ted doesn't do doesn't do that. No, he like- Ted
1: and John Cusack do not do that. Yeah. He
0: like corners Sam on the bus and just like hits her with a bunch of shit, like- rapid fire, and it's like, read the room. And then he just keeps Back trying off. to
1: hop on her in, like, the auto body shop.
0: Yeah, like, because like, the one time she's like, it's okay, and then he tries it, and he's like, no, no, no I said it was okay that you did it, not to do it again. Yeah, and which... It's like, dude, learn to read. So like,
1: one, <laughs> you need to learn to read, and two, like, that feels like a thing that a lot of women are conditioned for, where it's like, rather than say, like... Uh, no stop. Rather than, like, no stop, or, um or uh, well what's what's an example where I'm saying where so stop telling women like it's okay when you should be like no, your apology is accepted but I don't forgive you kind of things yeah or stop how saying we condition like, women okay, to say
0: or oh, it's not a big deal or yeah oh, or it's
1: we fine. don't convi- we condition women to say sorry even if it wasn't their fault kind of things right where it's like so much of this like no, that feels like what she was probably taught to say mm-hmm. but it's not cool and the communication is a uh, she should be more clear but he should also not be a.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what's happening. And I do want to like kind of pedal back a little bit because I I was a little bit ableist and I was like, hey, dude, learn to read because there are people who do have like, obviously, uh, you know, different spectrum disorders where maybe that's not. That is not the case for Farmer Ted. But it's not the case for Farmer Ted. But I just want to acknowledge that when I say things like that, like I'm specifically talking to him, not just as like a general statement, Um, because Farmer Ted absolutely can and he he has shown that he has the capacity to do, to do some self-reflection. He's just choosing not to. Yeah,
1: like, there are genuinely moments where he's being, like, heartfelt and kind. In this really dumb-ass backwards way, he's being really nice about Sam to Jake, where it's like, hey, if this is just some pump-and-dump lay kind of thing, then, like, I'm gonna come beat you up.
0: Or I'll find someone else who can. Yeah, like, so yeah. he's being
1: kind and, like sort of chivalrous, I guess, but in the most disgusting way possible. And he should not be commended for doing the bare minimum. Right.
0: Like, we he's getting praised as like, oh, look at this guy doing this great thing. And it's like, no, that's, that is baseline.
1: Like, common courtesy should not be commended.
0: No, no, not not even in the fucking slightest. Like, slide. and
1: we have this with like some of our straight friends or even just like our male friends in general, where it's like, where we'll be like, oh my God, he's such a good boy. When they do like, very nice things, but we're so used to, like, a lot of guys not doing basic nice things that, like, we want to praise our friends for being good people. And it's it's weird that we shouldn't be like that, but, like, the bar is so goddamn low.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very frustrating. And... I'm very frustrated.
1: <laughs> I'm yelling a lot.
0: <laughs> I mean, and kind of to piggyback off of that, as far as, like, the bar being so fucking low, um, that kind of goes into, you know, one of our other prominent uh, side characters here.
1: Is this, I guess, I guess, the fourth most prominent character in the movie?
0: Yeah, so...
1: Well, maybe not. No, there should be, like, Carol Ann's the next one, but... Caroline? Yeah,
0: Caroline. There we go. Yes, there you go. Whatever. <laughs> Sweet, my Carol <laughs> Sweet Carol Ann. Sweet Carol Ann. No, I wasn't going to talk about Caroline. I, I assumed
1: um, that we were going to the uh, really obvious oh glaring problem. God. The delightful comic relief of this film...
0: Yeah, we we need to talk about Long Duck Dong and the mm. fact that like no one in this movie even gives him like baseline respect. Mm-mm. And what's really frustrating is that uh, I've heard two schools of thought about this character. I've heard ob- the the obvious camp, which is <laughs> this is problematic and racist because mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also a camp that has sort of grown out of Roger Ebert's review of this movie, where he described the character as being so over the top that it borderlined on like camp genius where it's like nobody you know nobody acts this way and people don't talk this way therefore it you know it crossed that boundary of being offensive into kind of like like Borat territory Mm -hmm. but the thing that kind of like gives me pause is you know maybe 10 years ago I could humor that idea. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, don't agree with it, but like, I see the point you're making. But we are now living in like a COVID-19 world where the (laughs) soon to be kicked out president used to frequently call it like the Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus. And it's like, no, 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 people are still racist as shit. To Um, Asian communities. There's been a lot
1: of racism this year because of COVID in general. general. And it's been been rough pumpkins.
0: It's been super rough pumpkins.
1: So Long Duck Dong, aside from the fact that his name is a dick joke. Right. Like, aside from that as just being a problem... there's just a gong sound every single time someone says his name or he to be there. pops up on screen. And then eventually the movie just stops playing by its own rules and just inserting it randomly into scenes with him where it's like, oh, hey, we established this is like, this is when the gong goes off. But it's like, no, we're just putting it in there now because why not? Yeah. And it is so much and so offensive. And the problem is he is the most memorable part of this movie outside of the main plot. Mm -hmm. Either because of his, like, sexy girlfriend, the donger needs food, or whatever fucking dumb quotes he has. And it's so uncomfortable. Because I remember, like, whenever VH1 would include this on one of their countdown shows, they would include clips Uh, of him.
0: They, the, I Love the 80s had the, hey, there, sexy girlfriend line in, like, every commercial.
1: Yes, and it is so much and so uncomfortable because I don't even remember... People acknowledging them, they might have, but I don't remember them being like, wow, uh, Long Duck Dong is really racist. They are just like, this guy's hilarious.
0: Yeah. It, like, I think it was very much like, oh, the Donger. Remember all those cool one lines? Or Grandpa being racist as fuck? And There's being a lot like, of people. Where that, is my automobile? Like, uh, I mean, they, they say a lot of, lot
1: of slurs at him.
0: Yeah, like, they, they call him, a, like, a Chinaman. Like, I think they say something
1: about, like, Rice Boy or something. Like, yeah. it's really bad. It's
0: um, it's awful, and again... And it's, mind you,
1: the little brother was taught this stuff. So, like, the little oh, brother who's probably, like, hit. eight, and he's, he's like, the, the, worst. He is the worst, like, most unpleasant version of, like, a snotty little brother. And he is saying racist stuff because he's clearly learning it from people.
0: Yeah, he's learning, like, he learns it from his, his like, parents and his grandparents in school, and no one fucking calls him on it. And what's so frustrating... Is that, like, in watching this movie, it's like, wow, this is, like, so goddamn offensive. But, you know, at that time, like, this is how people treated people. Mm-hmm. And, like, just, they nobody got held accountable for it. They were like that little brother where it's like he said that wild shit. And they were like, oh, be nice. Like, they didn't be like, hey, motherfucker, you're being racist.
1: I think that's kind of a thing with evolution of, uh, of, of media is... This whole, like, woke culture, like, PC, whatever kind of thing that people criticize for existing now, I think comedy is what's being held most accountable for that sort of thing. Because it's like, oh, no, like, you think of comedy as harmless, Mm -hmm. and it's not, and that's the problem. Like, if there's, like, a stereotype in, like, a a drama or uh, whatever other genre, like... It's so much easier to acknowledge, like, that's bad. That shouldn't exist. But in comedy, it's like, no, but you can joke about anything. Right. And you can. But that doesn't mean that you are free of consequence.
0: Well, because it makes me... So these are the thoughts that I had, like, with that character specifically in comedy. And so so go with me on this journey here.
1: All right. I'm, so, I'm here. I've got my walking shoes on.
0: So in, in Disclosure the uh, documentary produced by and Cox about trans representation mm-hmm. she talks about how she frequently before obviously she became you know very famous would just like go on the train or go into a, a store or whatever just existing and people would see her and laugh mm-hmm. and she firmly believes that it's because at this point in, in pop culture trans representation outside of like serial killers have exclusively been like punchlines and jokes Yeah, and your, she's like you're Mrs.
1: Doubtfire finally- Yeah. So she's like, you
0: know, people are seeing me and they're laughing because they've been conditioned to believe someone who looks like me. That's a joke. Like Mm -hmm. we should laugh at that. So I think about that. And then I think about like the the generation of people who grew up like loving sixteen candles. So uh-huh. you know this is a forty year old movie. So Almost, we're talking yeah. yeah we're talking people who are you know in my my parents' age and older. And these are the same people who go to a goddamn Mexican restaurant or go to a Chinese restaurant and go I would like a number five. And mm-hmm. they talk to people Muchos
1: gracias <laughs> Yes, they
0: talk to people like this and it's like, well, you grew up watching a movie like 16 Candles which taught you to communicate with people like this. So, it's it's really frustrating because it's like oh, there's a there's like there's there, there's there's results that come out of this that are not good, friends.
1: Is this where I tell that Taco Tuesday story? Yes, you
0: have to tell the Taco Tuesday story. Oh right. shit.
1: So, um I'm gonna tell t- I'm gonna tell story about Taco Tuesday, uh, that is. <laughs> Fucking god. It's a lot.
0: No names though. Wait. No, I we won't just... give names. Okay, I'm just just saying.
1: I will say that my mother is one of them. So yeah. whoops, there's her name, kind of. Um, but so at my brother's funeral, because my brother got hit by a train. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's. That's a thing, and I have, I'm developing like a a scrapbook of stories about people getting hit by and killed by trains, which is very fucking weird, but that's just the life I leave, uh, 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 whatever. So, we're at there, and one of my coworkers, who is my mother's age, who is very nice and insisted on telling me that my dad was very handsome, because, you know, men my age, they're fat and bald, and your dad's not either, so that makes him really handsome. (laughs) Also weird.
0: (laughs) You know, low low bar. So
1: she meets my mom and someone who is essentially my aunt, because she's, you know, mom's friend, and she has been for decades. Mm -hmm. And they all decide, this is great, we get along marvelously. We should all hang out with Harmony sometime, and it'll be marvelous. We'll be the best of friends. Harmony, what's that exotic thing you've told me about that exists? Taco Tuesday? What a concept. Let's go do that sometime. (sighs) So we do. And um, I feel so bad... For our our waiter, the time we went because he was probably like nineteen years old. He may have been someone's nephew because it's a family-owned restaurant, and he did not speak English the best. Mm-hmm. So then you had my my mother and her friend, not my coworker, because my coworker is not. Um, she's she's not a horrible racist. Yeah, because she's like experienced things outside of Ohio. If my impersonation of her did not give you a, an idea that she is Southern. So, they're saying things like, Hello there! I would like for chicken! Like, fuck! Chicken tacos, please! Oh, thank you so much! And then after he leaves, it's just like, Can you believe they would hire someone who doesn't speak English? Ugh! Fucking
0: unreal. And it was fucking... It
1: floored me! It was so upsetting! And then I had to, like, have a conversation after we left the restaurant. After I kept going, you need to stop that. I had to straight up, like... I kept saying, like, no, don't do that. At the restaurant, I had to sit with my mom and go, that's not cool. That's fucked up. And she goes, I didn't think it was that bad. I'm like, it's really bad.
0: Like, it's super fucking bad. It's super
1: fucking bad. And because my mother is not a person who experiences life, she still tells her coworkers about the magical land of Taco Tuesday and how it was so exciting to get, oh, my goodness, we got lunch and we had day margaritas and tacos. It was So out there. Like, wow. Wild.
0: Whereas, like, we're sitting in quarantine right now and it's like, I'm going to get a margarita delivered to my door. Oh, my God. Like,
1: I'm rubbing my (laughs) temples because I cannot
0: fucking handle it. God damn it. And, like, these are the people, though, who grew up, like, watching this fucking movie. My mom
1: loves John Hughes movies. My mom probably does (laughs) think this about... My mom does think this about a person. We were one time driving through a college district and she straight up went... I bet that Asian student has a backpack because he's going to med school. And I go, why would you think that?
0: (laughs) Fucking white Like,
1: I can't handle it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm having a breakdown. (laughs) Can we move
0: on, please? Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? I was going to say, I mean, it's definitely part of it because this fox article they they're quoting somebody who they asked they asked like this woman who's like in her 40s like what do you think of Jake Ryan and she was like oh Jake Ryan he changed my life and it's like yeah this movie changed people's life and some of it's really bad and a lot of it is because of long duck dong and how people treated him. And it's just like, God damn it. (laughs) Like, and, and this is where it gets frustrating because, okay, we've kind of talked about those, our our side characters. Caroline gets brought up, I think in theming. we can address her then. But when it comes to this movie, the, the things that are bad about it are so fucking bad. Yeah. And then I think about the moments where it's like Sam having a heart to heart with her dad.
1: And it's the best scene in the movie. And it's the best it's not scene even in the close. Movie. It's
0: like so good because
1: when Ugh. girls remember this movie, they remember the cake scene where they're sitting on a glass table, and it makes me so nervous. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they like women who watch this movie growing up. They always talk about the cake scene, mm-hmm. and then dudes
0: talk about the talk underwear. about the
1: underwear. Yeah. Those are the things where it's like that's that's the moment I remember from this movie that blew my fucking mind. oh
0: Yeah, and it, and. And that's why it's so frustrating, because it's like there's this, like that beautiful scene that I think is so important with with the parent
1: And the dad is so nice. He's just really wonderful. He's being a really good dad.
0: Jake is a senior, and he's beautiful and perfect. I like him a real lot, and he doesn't like me, okay? Oh. And he's got this incredible girlfriend. I'm just this ridiculous dork that's following him around like a puppy. Why do you think you're a dork? I don't think you're a dork. I don't think Mom thinks you're a dork. Mike thinks I'm a dork. Mike is a
1: dork. (sighs) So am I. Well, if it's any consolation, I love you. And if this guy can't see in you all the beautiful and
0: wonderful things that I see, then he's got the problem. I know, it just hurts. That's why they call them crushes. If they were easy, they call them something else. And there's just, there's so many, like, these, like, very, like, subtle nuances about high school. Like, fucking Joan Cusack's character who has zero lines. Oh, my God, with her neck brace? The girl wearing, like, the neck brace. She's awesome. And, like, struggling to exist in that. You know, there's uh, the girl that they call Lumberjack that Long Duck Dong is interested in, who's, like, super tall and, like, athletic and busty. And, like, her talking about, like, you know, boys don't really, like, look at me. They don't really talk to me. And, yeah, it's supposed to set up a punchline because, like, you know, Long Duk Dong's obsessed with how big her boobs are, whatever. But, like, those moments, I think, are really nice where she's just, like, being genuine. Like, John Hughes did such a good job at, like, nailing, like, those very small moments of high school that no one talks about. But it's sandwiched between a bunch of bullshit. I
1: feel like what this movie is is a very nice film about very nice young girls who are forced to live in a male world... That's and true. that is the reality of why this movie is such a fucking problem because the women aren't the problem in this movie. It's everything that's happening outside of their like periphery, everything that they're not aware of, either because they're not there or because they're drunk. It's all of these things that men are kind of forcing on them as far as like the plot and the story goes. And that's really a great metaphor for what's wrong with society <laughs> and what's wrong with this movie.
0: But at the same time, though, and I I, I don't disagree with you. Let me say that first. I do not disagree with you, but I don't think that's fully true because going back to this Vox article, I'm going to reference this Vox article a lot. Um, So in 16 Candles, though, and this does get get us talking about Caroline a little bit. um, So Caroline is Jake's, you know, perfect girlfriend or whatever, and is also the one who is uh, alluded to being date raped. Um, And it's not, it's presented not only as her fault, But also, like, it's funny. Mm -hmm. So in this article, it says... In the moral universe of 16 Candles, Jake is allowed to be callous to Caroline without losing his dream boy status because as 16 Candles briskly assures us, Caroline is not the right kind of girl. She has breasts, she drinks, she's potentially a little bit slutty. She doesn't know shit about love, Jake explains. The only thing she cares about is partying. So he talks, you know, kind of mad shit about her the entire movie. He talks about her poorly to Farmer Ted and then, you know, he passes her off to Farmer Ted.
1: This is the, the, the victim of living your life that is frequently exploited by the victims in slasher movies due yes. to Reagan-era puritanical bullshit.
0: Yes. So, you know, Jake is like, you know, hey, I'll give you my dad's fancy car and, you know, my, my cool unconscious girlfriend and you can take her. And he even says to him, like, have fun. And then in the car, Caroline regains consciousness long enough to ask, like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and Jake is like, oh, that's me. I'm him, that's me. And like she's so drunk that she's just like whatever and just kind of takes it and you know, they drive off, you know she she regains a little bit of her her consciousness while they're in the car and she's like screaming and like being you know wild. and then they get to the parking lot where she's basically like, well, I, I skipped over him stuff. he makes a pit stop at his friend's house. Mm-hmm. To have them photo come out and take a picture to prove that, like, he was with her tonight because uh-huh. no one's going to believe him, which is super fucked up and manipulative and very, um very Steubenville-esque. That's exactly what I was going to uh-huh. say. Very Steubenville-esque. Um, and then, you know, he gets to the parking lot where they inevitably, this is where things get a little, like, muddy because he breaks the fourth wall uh-huh. and looks to the audience and says, like, you know, this is getting good. But here's where it gets muddy. So how get, how it gets muddy is that, you know, we don't see them after that until the next morning uh-huh. where they wake up and Farmer Ted explains that, like, even he doesn't um, remember what happened and is like, did we do this? And she's like, yeah, I think so. And I
1: think I enjoyed it.
0: Well, so and that's the so that's the other thing is like you go to this um, you go to this article that Molly Ringwall uh, wrote for The New Yorker and she brings this up, too. Where, um, you know, he asks her if she enjoyed it and neither of them seem to remember much. And then Caroline shakes her head in wonderment and says, you know, I have this weird feeling I did. She had to have a feeling about it rather than a thought because thoughts are things that we have when we are conscious. And she was not. Mm. And it's like you read that and it's like, fuck, because that's that's what it is. Like, it, yeah, it's muddy. Because it's alluded to that, like, you know, he was also blackout drunk because he clearly doesn't remember. So that remember. Means it's not as
1: bad if they're both drunk. Right. But, but no, he was sober when he intended on doing this.
0: Yes. He was sober before, like, he blacked out, you know, during the action or This maybe ball was before, in motion. But it was, he was planning on doing this. So, you know, this this Vox article brings this up because they talk about, you know, rape culture in the 1980s, which, you know, was when Brett Kavanaugh was alleged to have done these things. Okay. Um And what they bring up is they're like, you know, we have this idea that, like, you know, rape and assault is this, like, stranger in the woods sort of thing. And it's not. It's frequently people you know, situations that are complicated, people you're familiar with, maybe with alcohol. And that, like, the world of 16 Candles and that assault, like, that's the world in which, like, Brett Kavanaugh was playing in that sandbox. Uh So it's... So dark and awful because you look at it and you're with with objective eyes, it's like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like this is an awful thing. But at that time, that was permissible. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't it clock was inno- that. it
1: was innocent date rape. Yeah, Where it was yeah. like, oh, it was normalized, and this is just, this is just, no, this is just a thing that guys do. This is a thing that happens, this no is, big deal. Yeah,
0: this is what happens when you drink too much, ladies. And this
1: is like the conversation that, because like uh, rape culture, yay, our my favorite most l- good time conversation. Sorry to anybody who's not comfortable listening to this, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of guys have this idea in their head that uh, rape and date rape and whatever. It's that it's violent and it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It's, it exists in things like I spit on your grave. It does not exist in things like 16 Candles. Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of men, I know uh, that I, not that I know personally, but I know that this is a thing that exists where they don't want to admit that these, this quote unquote innocent rape that exists in stuff like 16 Candles isn't rape because then they suddenly have to go, oh fuck, I'm a rapist.
0: Yeah. They have to. Know they have reassess. to admit that
1: to themselves.
0: Yeah, and they don't want to do that.
1: Yeah, and it's really like I'm sorry. That's hard for you. Guess what? You don't have it the hardest in this situation, sir. Hmm.
0: And mm-hmm. obviously, this
1: happens on both sides of the fence. Not to just completely villainize men, but yeah. In the context of this movie, it certainly is.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's just it's very hard because. I remember watching *16 Candles* uh, when I was younger because I also watched a lot of John Hughes movies. Obviously, well, you're from Chicago, that right? Makes it's sense. It's a right of passage. Like how it.
1: Clevelanders really, really hold on to Major League, <laughs> even though it really isn't very good. Like
0: we have fucking parking lots in Chicago that, like, each floor is a different John Hughes movie. Like that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, *16 Candles* is you know hailed and heralded as this like you know beautiful look at high school experience. And what's hard for me sometimes, is that there are so many things about this movie that I relate to, like going to parties, going to school dances and feeling very lonely. Um, You know, having to strike up like weird, awkward conversations with like boys that were super interested in me, and I just was not interested in them. Like those are things that I really relate to. And then unfortunately, like I do relate to being assaulted and Mm -hmm. it being at a party and it being with alcohol and it being with people that I knew. And it's really fucking hard because when that first happened and I started talking to people about it, it was sort of like almost excused as like, well, I mean, you were drunk. And, like, you what did know.
1: you expect to happen? Right. <laughs> and I
0: can't help but think that, like, a lot of rape culture and a lot of the things that we are led to believe. You know, they are directly correlated by the things that we are conditioned because it's, I'm not blaming movies. Like, that's not what I'm doing. That's, I think, stupid. But when movies are giving you the same message that, like, news reports are giving you and what, like, education, like, sex education is doing, when they're all enforcing that exact same narrative, then, yeah, you are going to believe it.
1: It's a reflection of, like, the reality Mm -hmm. that people live off of. Mm Um. You know how on, like, YouTube, and this is a thing that's existed forever, where people will recut movies like Mary Poppins or to look like a horror Home movie Alone or to yeah. make it look like a horror movie? I would really love it if someone had a passion project and recut this movie to be, like, a scary cautionary tale film. Because it would because be so. Because that's what it is. Like it didn't start that way. That's not what it was trying to be in the nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's become. It's it's lived long enough to see itself become the villain. You know.
0: And what's super weird too is so we briefly touched on how Sixteen Candles sort of plays with like this Porky's sort of thing because that's what was like the hot ticket at the time was like yeah. Porky's Animal House, animals. whatever. whatever. And what's fucked is that this movie, unlike those two, this is like a girl's story, mm-hmm. right? So you look at the movies like Animal House and Porky's, and it's like these are raunchy sex comedies, blah blah blah, but they're from the perspective of boys. Mm-hmm. You do a raunchy sex comedy from the perspective of girls, and now it's about rape, and yeah. like that's fucking like so hard to wrap my head around sometimes because on one hand I'm like. Yeah, like, that's the life we all have to deal with, is that, like, your crude jokes turn into, like, acts of violence. Like, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But that was definitely not, like, John Hughes's, like, intention with this. Like, no no fucking way. No, he he had a very... He lucked into that.
1: Yeah, he, I think, went in this with very good intentions. And, um, boy, they, uh, they do not stand up to uh, 2020 very well. Like... It's like a one-sided fist fight.
0: And what's also interesting is, like, looking at this article, because, you know, they talk about, you know, people who were actually around it. And it's like... In the 1980s, though, alternative narratives were few and far in between. They were mostly offered only by feminism. And in the 1980s, mainstream culture considered feminism shrill and unfashionable. So, like, they're obviously not going to address this. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that people went to see movies like Sixteen Candles and immediately thought, wow, that looks like fun. I better go get a bunch of girls drunk and have sex with them without their consent. Like, Sixteen Candles is not single-handedly responsible for the rape culture of the 1980s. But like all popular culture, it does both reflect and help to shape the social context in which it exists exists mm-hmm. so i do think if that, nothing
1: else it normalizes it
0: yes and i i do think that it's really important that we have these discussions um you know with movies like 16 candles where yeah there there's a lot of importance that came off of it in terms of like you know this kind of shaped a teen genre and it was the the building blocks for you know john hughes's later work which are you know pretty seminal for a lot of people mm-hmm. but this is definitely the 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 one that's aged the worst. Uh, oh, God. The one that is the, the most problematic and is such a reflection of that time period. I think more, <sighs> more authentically than like a, a Revenge of the Nerds um, sort of is. Mm-hmm. I think 16 Candles sort of presents like this is what life was like and this is what we accepted and this is what we normalized. And... Um, it's now sort of up to us to recognize that like this is this wasn't a good thing.
1: Yeah. so I, I guess to relay this to my personal experience because this is what I do is that I, I, I my bread and butter as far as like writing and discussing film when we're not doing the podcast is I write about trans representation. And I will frequently argue in favor of very poorly aged problematic films because I say, no, this it's a good thing this film exists and it's a good thing people are still talking about it because, like something like Dress to Kill or whatever is that you are now looking at where we were as a society in 1980 or in the case of this movie 1984 like this is where we were as a society and the fact that it's still heralded as like such an iconic 80s classic obviously there's a lot of nostalgia goggles involved for something like that but that really says what we're willing to tolerate as a society then and now.
0: Yeah. I I I agree with you and I think that it's also important to acknowledge that so in that article for the New Yorker that Molly Ringwald wrote, um she did meet up with um Haviland Morris who plays Caroline to ask her how she felt about the character. So they they went up for coffee and when they were talking um I I guess originally Hallivan didn't have as severe of an issue with the character as Molly did, you know, upon rewatch. Mm -hmm. So she talks to her and she goes, you know, in, in, in her mind, Caroline bears some responsibility for what happens because of how drunk she got. I'm not saying that it's okay to then be raped or have non-consensual sex, have non-consensual sex, but it's not a one way street because this is a girl who gets herself so bombed that she doesn't even know what's happening. So she brings that up and, you know, they, they talk a little bit more and um, Molly talks about how when she was around in her 20s she went to a party where she drank too much uh-huh. and clearly like somebody was trying to like prey on her uh-huh. and uh, then like a friend popped up and was like okay time to go Molly and like basically saved her from this this sort of situation
1: we have to use the buddy system and, and we shouldn't have to
0: yes but that's what happened so she shares this story with Haviland and you know she frames it about like her kids and is like well if this happened to your kids like how would you feel about it And she's like, you know, I don't want to treat it like black and white. It just doesn't feel like a one-way street. They go their separate ways. Everything's fine. And Uh then I guess after coffee haviland replied and was like you know the more i think about it this evening the less comfortable that i am with caroline jake was disgusted with her said he could violate her if he wanted to because she was trash, but didn't and then ted was the one who had to ask if they had sex which certainly doesn't demonstrate responsible behavior from either party but it doesn't really spell date rape but on the other hand she was basically traded for a pair of underwear and (sighs) that uh you know, that's that's really, really difficult. And, you know, Molly even says, it's hard for me to understand how John was able to write with so much sensitivity, but then also have such a glaring blind spot. Mm-hmm. And then she talks about, like, looking at, like, early National Lampoon films, which, like, you know, I think about, like... um I think about like Vacation, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think Vacation like fucking nails so much of like the nuanced idea of like living with your family mm-hmm. and just all of all of like the weird hijinks that, you know, sort of Midwest life gets into. But then at the same time there's like a subplot where he's absolutely cheating on his wife and like trying with, to cover with it up. Billy Joel's wife with Christie Brinkley. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it, it's you know, I it, it's that that very obvious blind spot that he has and I think that it's because no matter how sensitive John Hughes is as a writer, no matter how much input he gets from his actors on like what the teen experiences is, is like ultimately though, like John Hughes is still a cis white straight man mm-hmm. writing characters that are like teens. And he doesn't fully understand like what this message, like obviously he's, he's since passed. We can't ask him these questions, mm-hmm. but there was no way for him to understand like what this messaging was, was telling because it doesn't actually affect him.
1: Yeah. And if you think about like where he came up through in his writing experience, it was probably with a bunch of dudes. And these were like the national lampoon writers room where it's just like a bunch of disgusting dudes doing locker room talk probably. Cause those were, it was very raunchy. It was a very raunchy environment. And I love so much about John Hughes's writing. Mm-hmm. Like, My favorite's planes, trains, and automobiles, and I think that's the most complete one because it's about two like middle-aged cis dudes, Uh, and maybe that just relates to him the most personally, which is why it has such a good handle on those characters and those interactions. But I don't think he missed the mark with writing characters like Jake Ryan or like Chevy Chase in um, the vacation movies because people relate to those. Mm -hmm. So it's not, oh, he did a bad job. It's like, no, he did a good job, and that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, my dad, I haven't talked to him, I know, for 10 years now, but my dad used to relate to Clark Griswold so much. Him and Sheriff Brody from Jaws were like, if you could smash them together, that's who my dad saw himself as. Where he would just we would watch Christmas Vacation every year and he'd be like, You see, this is what you all put me through. I put myself through hell to put up with this. And And he would just put himself on the cross because he's just trying to have a good family experience, not realizing that the family doesn't want to really have this experience. He's just he's being a martyr for the sake of what he thinks he's supposed to be doing as a dad in order to create a good experience or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he did such a good job of capturing who these men are, and that is a very powerful thing, even if it's not a, uh, a positive thing, it's still enlightening.
0: And I think, I think going back to, to Molly Ringwald, I think she, she kind of wraps this together. I think what both you and I are feeling. Mm -hmm. So she says, John believed in me and in my gifts as an actress more than anyone else I've known. And he was the first person to tell me that I had to write and direct one day. He was also a phenomenal grudge keeper and he could respond to perceived rejection much the same way the character of Bender did in The Breakfast Club. But I'm not thinking about the man right now in the films that he left behind, films that I am proud of in so many ways, films that, like his earlier writing, though to a much lesser extent, could also be considered racist, misogynistic, and at times homophobic. The words fag and faggot are tossed around with abandon. The character of mm-hmm. Long Duck Dong and Sixteen Candles is a grotesque stereotype, as other writers have detailed, uh-huh. far more eloquently than I could. And yet I have been told more times that I can count by both friends and strangers, including people in and the LGBT community that the films saved them. Leaving a party not long ago, I was stopped by Emile Wilbekin, a gay African-American friend of a friend who wanted to tell me that. And I just smiled and thanked him. But what I wanted to say was why. There is barely a person of color to be found in these films and no characters are mm-hmm. openly gay. And, you know, they, you know, they talk about... Um, she, she talks about later of, like, communicating with that friend of a friend and how they talk about how the film... Showed characters that are struggling with their identity, struggling with themselves, even if it wasn't, like, directly a one-to-one comparison and how, Mm -hmm. like, that made them feel seen. And
1: It was was a teen experience that didn't really exist before John Hughes did it. Right. Like, he wrote the book on how to make a teen movie, basically. And... I don't think that can be understated, even if this is not a pleasant thing to look back on. Mm-hmm. I think that reality is an, is an important thing to acknowledge.
0: I think so too. I think this is 16 Candles and I, I think the the work of John Hughes in general are prime examples of of loving things critically and holding two truths at once. Mm-hmm. Um, Holding the truth that his work is so important to so many people and was really influential for a lot of things. But at the same time, perpetuated a lot of bad shit that we're still dealing with today mm-hmm. and i think accepting that both of those things are true is is really important um because i don't think that this movie is all bad but it's definitely not all good oh god no uh, um so i think that's a uh, that's sort of where i'm at with uh with 16 candles and i think we've kind of analyzed this this to the best of our abilities um especially from our own lived experiences so harmony we are, we are passing notes in class, and we're going to do the yawn drop, and, and I'm going to pick up this piece of paper, is uh, 16 Candles, going to get a yes, no, or maybe to the prom, and uh, what are you going to write back on that note with a uh, handwriting that's clearly been <laughs> fucking changed?
1: <sighs> so this, this, is, this is a big pass. Like, I, I do not need to revisit this movie mm-hmm. at any point in my life, I don't think um i also have never passed a note in my life
0: which was such a weird thing for you to tell me but then i was like oh i guess cell phones but then like you didn't even have a cell phone Well, no i didn't
1: really have a lot of friends for one thing yeah and if we did then it's like no we can just talk about whatever dorky shit we're gonna talk about after after the period's done so fine whatever but i don't need to revisit this movie i i don't really want to glorify this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's been other films where I've definitely, that we've talked about where I've gotten very heated. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's examples like uh, 10 Things I Hate About You and The Craft, mm-hmm. which, whew, some people were mad at us about uh, randomly about and they're gonna have to deal. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They hopefully will not be as mad about us with this one because this isn't like, this is not like a... This like, is pretty objective. Yeah, it's like. like, this is not like, oh, well, I mean, th- this is up for debate. It's like, no, this is pretty cut and dry as to why this movie has issues yeah so um in a sense it's like a softball for a hard no but i um i really like the good things about this movie like it does some really really it does some really good things with molly ringwald's character of sam and there's a little comedy that's not so bad Mm -hmm. like um Caroline getting her hair stuck in the door and rather than just open the door, they have to cut her free.
0: Yeah. That's really funny. Like that's funny. That's (laughs) cute. I like
1: that, but I I have no interest in revisiting this movie Mm -hmm. unless someone makes a super cut to it. That somewhere features a minor key version of it's, this is a man's world by James Brown. (laughs) Cause that is
0: make it terrifying. That is the
1: mood that I, that that is the dark cloud looming over my head with this, this film. Mm Mm-hmm and um yeah i got real heated and i i got to w-
0: calm down i to calm down i'm just
1: tired now like Aww. i'm frustrated and i'm tired and like there were so many things that got me <laughs> so goddamn spiced <laughs> but um I, I i don't know that's that's pretty much where i'm at with 16 candles and uh yeah uh we're going to do when we eventually do like every other John Hughes film, probably
0: it won't be, I won't exhausting. Get, I won't be so <laughs>
1: beaten into the ground and irate. So we're looking at this optimistically, I guess.
0: <laughs> Alrighty. Well, sorry, 16 candles. It's a, it's a no for you, but it's a yes for all of you for staying with us and listening. And we appreciate you coming back as always. Um, if you are not, please subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. We do mini where Harmony makes me watch teen boy movies, which are somehow worse than this movie.
1: Um, um, some are probably going to end up better than this you movie. You know what?
0: Hopefully. Hopefully some will end up better. Yeah. But we do things like that. That's also where we announce what the schedule is going to be ahead of time rather than the week of. So, you know, fun exclusives there. Harmony also makes playlists each month that you can get access to.
1: I'm just being my own version of Molly Ringwald where I'm like, man, I really like this band. I want to put them in the movie. <laughs> because <laughs> that's really all I want to do with my life I, I want to have a Molly Ringwald position where I go hey this cool indie band that deserves more of an audience you should go listen to them
0: so yeah that's that's really where a lot of the playlist comes from um, which is kind of cool um, so you know subscribe check it out we you know appreciate any and all support um, otherwise you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom um, you know we post the where you can find the movies um as far as if it's money if it's streaming any of that we post those there as well as our friday emotional check-ins where we'll say like hey what version of this character from this movie are you today and it's a lot of fun uh to interact that way you can find me uh at bj colangelo on twitter and instagram
1: you can find me oh god i I just do i sound really tired i feel like i sound tired
0: no you don't sound tired you do sound like (laughs) God damn I'm it. I'm just so <laughs>
1: exasperated. You can find me on Twitter at VelasaTraptor. Velasa underscore trap underscore tor. I think if my timing is correct, around the time that this episode goes up. You can find uh, on our Patreon our once-a-month slumber party.
0: Yeah, episode. you can.
1: So basically, what the idea for that is is that we're going to put on our pajamas and we're gonna scroll through whatever streaming services we have and find a, like a a cool a cool movie that we want to watch for this, and uh, you can kind of watch along with us while. Uh, While just playing our commentary, uh, while you're watching it at home, hopefully.
0: Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be like we're in a sleepover together, but no, it'll make everyone not feel
1: so distant because this is basically how we're watching all of our movies with our friends these days Mm -hmm. is over the internet. And I think I've got a good handle on how we can do this tech wise without doing background noise. (laughs) So I'm feeling good about that. So, um, who knows what we're going to find for that. I, but we, we just going to pop on and see what's streaming and (laughs) go from there.
0: It'll be, it'll be a blast. And I hope that you all subscribe to join us. Um, the, the wonderful Sonderbombs, as always, uh, are behind our theme song. Harmony, tell people about the, the newness with the, with the Sonderbombs.
1: Okay, so the Sonderbombs have two sick new singles out, which, according to Willow, aren't even the best songs on the album, which has me so fucking hyped.
0: Yeah, because Crying Is Cool fucking rules. <laughs> crying
1: Is Cool is really great, and so uh, is the other single, What Are Friends For?, um, which has a very pulp, like a friend vibe to it, which I love. And, uh, yeah, they've got an official release date in January for their new album. You can pre-order it now, and, uh, it can come with, like, T-shirts and uh, a flag and all these other kind of sweet merch bundles if you want. Personally, I got the big one that includes the uh, ghost-colored vinyl because it's really fucking tight. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, this is me being my Molly Ringwald type of, like, hey, I specifically <laughs> wanted the bombs because it had a very John Hughes soundtrack feel for what we were going for here. and. Mm-hmm. This is where my inspiration for our, our playlist and our everything is all coming together. And you get to look at my very weird creative process that hopefully <laughs> works for the theming.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. And, uh, you know, watch some good movies. Talk with us online. We love hearing from you. And y'all are great. I love talking to you all, too.
1: You say such nice things about us. You're
0: super nice. Also,
1: (laughs) Especially when I'm really tired and exhausted. It's been a very long week. (laughs) And this is not what I needed to do to rile myself up.
0: And, you know, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to us because it helps. Thank you.
1: Goodbye. We'll see you next time. here that I'm reading is relatively hostile. I mean it's just gotta hell very hostile. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me